the unseen. And I'm your host, Mike Cleland. Stuart Davis is an artist, writer, painter, musician, and recording engineer. And he recently started a podcast series titled Artist and Aliens. Now, on that series, he has a short intro to his site, and I'm going to plug that in here because this is a very good way to get up to speed on what he's been doing and trying to do, and it gives a little insight into the flavor and tone of his show. So here goes. Welcome to Aliens and Artists. I'm Stuart Davis, an artist working in music, film, and painting. I'm also an experiencer of strange things, including contact with at least one non-human entity, as well as unidentified aerial phenomena and supersynchronicities. These events have had a profound impact on my creativity and art. They also inspired a sustained inquiry into other artists and their non-ordinary experiences. I became fascinated by these untold stories. So many artists have anomalous experiences, and often it profoundly shapes their work. That's why we created Aliens and Artists. It's devoted to exploring connections between non-ordinary experiences and creativity. In episode zero, titled Man Meets Mantis, I share some of my story, a series of highly strange events that launched me and dozens of other people on a creative odyssey spanning years. Telling our story made me realize I wanted to speak with other artists who've had strange experiences with entities and craft. Every time an artist has shared their life-changing story with me, I found it to be a captivating privilege. These stories range from unsettling and bewildering to deeply transformative. It's my hope to simply share them with you. Each episode of Aliens and Artists takes us to the borders of human experience. One artist at a time, we delve the mysteries of creativity and contact. Might art play a special role in mediating human and non-human mutuality? The implications of our not being alone are staggering. So are the possibilities. The singular creativity of human beings may prove essential in helping us navigate this larger reality. Join us in exploring the primordial human lineage, creativity. We'll be diving inward, where there are hints the universe is even bigger on the inside. Now, I need to point every listener here to that site, and his initial episode is titled Man Meets Mantis. Please, you simply must listen to that show. It tells an extraordinary series of intertwined stories. And that episode is linked in the show notes. And I will say it during our conversation, but that episode really hit home for me. If you replace the word mantis with owl, it mirrors my own experience to the point where it really shook me up. And I know there are a lot of people here who listen to my show and all the other shows on this network, and they have had similar experiences. And it is so heartening that someone like Stuart is stepping forward and exploring what he's been through. And 
And it certainly helps me that he's doing that. And Stuart is doing it in such a sincere and creative way. This conversation was recorded on Sunday, June 28th, 2020. Please enjoy. Stuart, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Thrilled to do it. Long, long time follower of everything you've ever done. Like, uh, you know, consider me a kind of fan person in general of all of your work. Huge admirer. So, yeah, I was thrilled to do this. Well, I'm, I, I, okay, I want to say this as clearly as I can. I listened to your podcast, the, the, opening episode is called Man Meets Mantis. And I was stunned by how much it mirrored my own life and my own experiences. And and what you articulated in that was this crazy tangled knot of synchronicities. And, and then also all the people around you that started having synchronicities as, you know, with you on the hub of this, this weird frenetic energy wheel and then people that you're interacting with were also having these either synchronicities or sightings or or you know it just went on and on and on and so so i listened to that i mean so the focus of your that that whole thing was your relationship to mantis beings little real praying mantises would appear Mm -hmm. and i feel like i have the same story obviously with owls but it it just man when i heard that it just i was I was trying to talk back to the computer, like, you know, like, oh, oh, me too. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, No, it's really true. And I have a great appreciation for the parallel that you're describing. Um, and I have, like I said, followed your relationship and experiences with owls back going all the way to the origin story. And that is honestly one of the narratives that helped me make sense and metabolize what was happening to me and these other people that came into the loop because a fascinating aspect of it is even when you're familiar with, you know, my familiarity with your experience with owls and of course the aggregate of all of the people who've flocked to you, pardon the pun, with their owl experiences as well. So I had a great acquaintance with that. And even that being the case, when it begins to happen to you personally, There's this threshold of incredulity, which is very, very hard to make sense of. It's basically the, even though going back decades, I was friends with John Mack. I knew many, many experiencers. I was, you know, my worldview has plenty of space for this. I'm not uh, a disbeliever. I'm not a debunker in any sense like that. So I had room and space for this. And when it begins to happen to you, you, I still could not process and metabolize the utter profound existential oddity of what it is when it actually starts to happen to you. You, I, you know, to this day, when I go back and review and spend time in meditation with these experiences, it, it leaves me flabbergasted. I mean, it's, it's utterly bewildering. Um, and in a beautiful sense, I think it, to a very large degree, re-enchanted my reality, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
that's one of the things I'd like to start with is just a great appreciation for you coming forward with the great work uh, regarding the owls because it does help orient for other people who are having these kinds of super synchronicities that what they're experiencing is real and that we just need to enter into that enigma. And it, it, it ain't easy. And, and I, I've told this to people before, like I, I, I mean, it's like a, between about 2006 and 2011, I spent 95% of my waking hours sort of obsessively wondering if I had gone insane. Like, like what was happening around me did not fit my definition of, of rational reality. It was, it was like, I, I was, and you know, honestly, at a certain point I got bored of being so frazzled. And, and I think that was, you know, just after about whatever, that's, that's five years after five years of just <laughs> the grinding tape loop in my head, I got a little bored of it and, and could deal with it a little better. You know, all that changed in. 2013 when I had this singular event which I've talked about ad nauseum on this show but um that event just cemented it home and I could was like and I don't know if you're at this point or it may never come for you where it was just like oh like my old life ended my new life has begun I now understand and accept that this is real yeah I I feel like I'm in the initial phase of that experience. And I had a very, very parallel tract to what you're relating and in, in that it took me, you know, my mantis experience was in 2010. And then the super synchronicities, which tracked for a year and a half, you know, two years, probably they were spread over. But it took me, you know, I, let's put it this way. I'm just starting with the podcast now, Aliens and Artists, and telling that story publicly I did that on the first uh, occasion was probably two years ago on Coast to Coast. That was like my coming out of the closet. So seven or eight years before I could even find myself willing and ready to tell my story publicly. It is excruciating. And so when I say that I have an appreciation for what you've done with your work, coming forward, telling these stories, and then creating a space that's that is safe and supportive for other people to tell their stories. I know how difficult that odyssey is to, to walk my own soul forward into recognizing that this is real, these things are actually happening, and that, you know, the second part of it being that I need to speak about this publicly. Basically, the pain of not sharing my story became more acute than the pain of it recognizing and admitting that these things were actually happening. And so you, you kind of choose like, I'm going to be better off if I got on this path of engaging uh, and admitting what is actually happening and try to do something constructive with it. But it is, it is excruciating. I really had to make peace with this much larger Cosmo. And again, you, you know, the irony of it being that I am, I'm inclined. I'm a friend of the enchanted world. I'm a meditator. I'm a practitioner in esoteric paths. Like I'm friendly with these kinds of terrains. But the funny part of it being like I'm I find it far easier to support others and to try to participate in a culture that is including this for other people than I found it to tell my own story, than I found it to speak publicly. You know, there's 
and I have a supportive family. It's, you know, I'm an artist, so I really don't have a reputation that's on the line or a, <laughs> or a vocation. You know, it's perfectly wonderful for me to be in the world of the weird. And even so, I just found it so hard to finally say out loud what had been happening to me <laughs> because it's just, you know, as you said, I have asked myself so many times, like, am I nuts? I must be going crazy, except for the fact that almost everything I've experienced has been with multiple witnesses. So my wife and my family have been enmeshed in this with me from the beginning. Luckily, all of the sightings uh, of, aside from my mantis encounter, everything else has been multiple witnesses. And so fortunately for my sanity, I've been able to corroborate and go back with my family members and say, now, tell me your account of this. Tell me exactly what you remember in your words. I just want to know if there's variance in our accounts and there is not. And so when that happens over and over again, and at this point we're talking about well over a dozen people that have been co-experiencers with me, that has been a great point of solace and consolation for me in at least being able to tell myself, okay, I'm not crazy. Um, we all experience the same. And I had the same thing like, you know, people around me were seeing stuff. And, and so I had a lot of shared experiences and, you know, consensus reality is, is, has a very clear, you know, it says this stuff cannot happen. <laughs> and then, and then it happens. It does. Yeah. It is really funny. And <laughs> I'm laughing in part because I'm reflecting on my wife's take and her perspective on this. So her accounts completely comport and match mine. There's no variance in them, but she has a very different uh, set of preferences for the kind of life she wants to have. And so she's experienced most of this stuff with me. And then after the fact, she will say, you know, I would prefer that I, I'm going to quote her verbatim. She one time looked at me and said, I can't think about this anymore. It stops my brain. It stops my brain. And I get that. I respect that. I actually have a lot of regard for people who can simultaneously recognize the validity of these phenomena and then also prefer to not allocate the bandwidth of their mind to, to engage it. Because as you described, Mike, it is an engulfing kind of experience that we're entering into. I had the same thing with you. You know, luckily I have, uh, I'm an artist and so I could do this. I could devote 95% of my waking and dreaming, you know, 24 seven to delving into this mystery. And it took over my life. It still has to a very large degree. I would say this occupies the vast majority of my mind, body, soul. And because I'm in a condition where I can do that with my life, that's great. But for other people who have day jobs, this is something that I have a lot of compassion and consideration for is, well, I try to imagine what is it like for someone who's working, you know, we both are friends with Nadine Lalich, for instance, and she was working in a law firm. She had a great career as a professional. So what is it like to contend with these sort of puzzles while you're also trying to maintain a life as a normal participant in society, conventional society, consensus reality. Well, it's impossible. It starts to, to, 
divide you and rip you apart. And I think the reason for doing the podcast, uh, Aliens and Artists, and for wanting to have these conversations with folks like yourself, is that I would like to participate in a general migration of our culture, which provides an apparatus for people to still have normal lives and also admit and engage with this truly bizarre enigma that is, you know, as you know very well, most experiencers, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to come forward. They don't want to make this what their life is. They would prefer to have normal family lives, normal jobs, meaningful existences, and not be saddled with this totally irreconcilable enigma. So that's part of why I'm enthusiastic to talk with you and to, you know, try to do a tiny, tiny little thing in the culture, which can contribute to that. And, and I have been, you know, so it felt like the owl thing for me, you know, is as silly as it sounds like I'm so grateful that that emerged as like a, as like the, um, you know, the path, I guess, you know, so mm. I'm, so that's the thread I've been pulling on this owl thing. Like, I keep on making the reference to like, uh, you know, like if you were a junior high school uh, history teacher and, and a little kid came up and said, gee, I want to do my report on, on World War II. I'm going to write a report on World War II. And you look at the little kid and go like, you better narrow that down a little bit because it's too big of a subject. <laughs> like you can't, you can't write like a report on World War II. So he, you know, little by little, he narrows it down. Well, I'll, I'll write it about what happened in the South Pacific. And it's like, well, then I'll, you know, well, about the Navy. And then, oh, maybe like one ship. Oh, then maybe one guy. And then, oh, maybe one guy's life on one day. Yeah. And so... I recognize that the totality of the subject is just it's 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 endless as far as the you know the directions it goes. Yeah. And you know you add the internet to that, you know you start googling things and it just gets it gets even worse but so I'm yeah I'm so grateful I just have this one narrow little focus and obviously I've you know pigeonholed myself as you know the owl guy and that is fine because I'm just like I would I would I would I would lose my way you know if I was lost in such a huge forest without without one shining thread to lead my way. But it's also so desperately needed. I really feel that this specialty that you have delved so deeply with the owl component of what this mystery is, was so desperately needed. And I know that you've experienced this phenomenon, which is, you know, once you touch one of those details and once you truly ask that kind of question with your whole being, you do find out that it's infinite. You do find out that the owl component to whatever this enigma is that we're in a relationship with, that goes so deep and so far. And it is almost as though if you truly just, um, you know, in a Buddhist kind of Zen fashion, if that becomes your koan, if the owl component of this enigma is your koan, and you truly live that question, the entire enigma is encapsulated within that particularity. And I have such an appreciation for that because any one aspect of this is a worldview, life-changing facet of the prism and I had the same experience with mantis entities where the simple way in which these insects became the emissaries uh, of the larger eight foot, nine foot variety, that little detail, that little particularity ended up completely unraveling my reality, completely unraveling my worldview. And I came to this totally bizarre 
recognition and admission that for whatever reason, I don't know how, I don't know why, but the large eight foot, nine foot variety of these mantid entities can actually control and inhabit the insect variety. And we're doing so at will over and over and over <laughs> in my life and in the lives of all of these people working in the film Mantis. All of this was constellated around this motion picture Mantis, which was inspired by my initial contact with the large eight-foot uh, form of the mantis. So when I hear the owl stories, there is such a register in my body. I, when I, I guess I, when I listened to your thing, I just was like, I was, it just, I was, I was looking in a mirror. You know, I mean, it was, yes. I, it felt, it felt so vital to me. Hey, we're gonna have to take our very first break, and when we come back, let's talk about um, your initial experience with the mantis beings. For free listeners, you will be hearing a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen, and I am speaking with my guest, Stuart Davis, about his experiences with the mantis beings. Now, we have gone on and on at the, in the first segment about how similar his path has been to my own path. So uh, you can't, the listeners can't see me, but I'm essentially nodding to to everything that comes out of your mouth. Uh, like, I understand. Now, uh, I said as much in the introduction, and I'm going to say it again now. I encourage every single person who listens to this to go to the show notes, go to the link. There is a podcast that Stuart did called Man Meets Mantis. You must listen to it. And instead of just rehashing what he already said so clearly in that, um, let me put it this way. It is an expectation that you listen to that so this makes sense. But the one story that I do want to hear just now is, is Stuart, your initial experience with the mantis being and, and the fever. Yes. So one bit of important backstory is that my, my life as a young adult was characterized by high fevers. It was a big part of my life. And many times a year, you know, half a dozen, 10 times a year, I would get these crazy high fevers, 104, 105 degrees. It was essentially routine for a big part of my life. And in those fevers, I became strangely not only familiar with, but I would say there was a fondness, a strange fondness for these fevers because they brought with them these altered states. And inside of the altered states of the fever, I would have what I felt were significant experiences. And one of the funny main memories of my childhood is me telling myself repeatedly, remember what's happening in this fever. So when I would get one of these 104, 105, and I would go into that fever state, Things would transpire and I would admonish myself, remember this, you have to remember this. And then the fever would break. And after the fever, I couldn't recall what had happened. And I always found this to be such a strange uh, dichotomy, almost one that matches our dreaming life so that when you're in a dreaming experience, you, you have these significant experiences and then you go into a waking state and they're no longer available uh, in most cases. And so that's just to say that fevers occupied a very special place, a privileged place in my 
menu of states that were available to me. And when I began meditating, when I was in my uh, probably about age 22, 23, I began a Zen Buddhist practice and was going on a lot of long retreats where you sit 10, 12 hours a day on these sessions. And a funny thing happened, which was in deep meditative states, I recognized and remembered what it was that I was trying to recall in those fever states. And meditation oddly formed a circle, like became the, the closing of that full loop. And I realized, oh, meditation in these deep states is very akin and related to what was going on in those fevers. And then I became interested and focused on seizing the opportunity to meditate in a fever state. So this was like a little focal point for me that was perhaps bizarre, unusual, but made a lot of sense to my own uh, consciousness and orientation as a practitioner. And then ironically, as soon as I really got into meditation, I stopped getting high fevers. And that is strangely what sets up and cues this entire mantis encounter that occurred in 2010. So from the age of 23 forward, I never got high fevers again. I don't know why they stopped, but they did. And then finally in 2010, it's New Year's Eve and I am very sick. I don't I don't know why it took so long, but I did end up very ill on New Year's Eve 2010. My family was out of the house. I was alone in the house, and I just had this crazy high fever. And as midnight approached, I had this strange impulse. I suddenly remembered, oh, this is my opportunity. I finally have a high fever, and I can do this meditation practice. I'm going to combine the two. And I thought it will be really interesting to do this right as midnight approaches, right? As midnight arrives, this is how I'm going to usher in the new year. So I do that. I begin this meditation. And when midnight, a few minutes before midnight approaches, I have an inspiration to ask to meet my guides. I put forth what is a combination of a prayer and an intention in my meditation. And I say, I want to meet my guides. I want to know who my spirit allies are. And my my inclination or best guess was that I would, I don't know, meet maybe some dead ancestors, meet some Buddhist monks. I was thinking that this would somehow uh, have an attachment or link to my Buddhist practice. And instead, a eight foot tall mantis entity <laughs> appeared at the foot of my bed wearing a purple robe with a very high collar <laughs> and it manifest and an instantly shot a wave. The best analogy that I've been able to come up with is though an invisible fire hose was aimed at my body and this being just shocked me, electrocuted me with this fire hose of, I don't even know what information content. It, it was palpable. It was very physical. It wasn't painful, but the intensity of it walked right up to the edge of, it was really uncomfortable, but it was not negative. And there was a, that signal that it shot into my body contained clicks and pops and like sound. And it just felt like somebody had shot a library full of information into my body. 
the entire thing lasted less than a minute, I'm sure. And by the way, I was completely lucid. This was not, it did not carry any of the characteristics or hallmarks of a hallucination. It was a very distinct, singular kind of experience. It lasted less than a minute. And then when it shut off that signal, it planted, it was like it deposited a phrase in my head. The one thing that was in English for all of this, it was the phrase, remember who you work for. And then it it was gone. And so let me just, so this is a, this is, this not dreamlike, like you are in your room seeing an eight foot tall physical (laughs) presence in your room. Yes. Okay. Okay. Every bit as much as a piece of furniture in the room was there, you know, my own body, like it had that kind of concrete, um, unmistakable, uh, not confusing. It was okay. Gotcha. It was there, <laughs> and so then I, mean, deposited... I sorry. I apologize for laughing, but it is no. It's funny. I think it's funny. Yeah. I, I think this whole thing is, you know, the absurdity of this event has never diminished for me. I to this day laugh out loud, and I think that's an appropriate response. I think it's just simply one of the most. It is the single most absurd thing that's ever happened to me. And the next morning, I woke up and. And my fever had broken. And the first thing I did was go to my wife and just say, I have to tell you something. I have to, I have to tell someone what, (laughs) I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to make of this, but here's what happened. I related the story to her just as I had to you just now. And, you know, my wife is great in this regard. She, she's a psychotherapist. She deals with crazy and difficult and pathological and trauma all the time. She's a mental health expert. I told her this story. No one on earth knows me better than my wife. And part of that relationship has been me seeking, you know, Mike, when you share that moment where you're like, am I crazy? What in the actual hell is going on here? I must be nuts. There have been many moments when I've gone to my wife and have to share my experiences with her and just ask for her honest assessment. You know, am I, is there something wrong with me? Am I, do I need to seek help? Or if I do need to seek help, what kind of help do I need to seek? So she received my story, has worked with me over and over. And, you know, to the best of her assessment and three or four psychologists and psychotherapists that I've worked with and all kinds of practitioners, you know, I have isolated and um, affirmed that whatever the nature of this is, it is not a mental health issue. It's not that I'm psychologically, emotionally ill. Um, so the that that initial event is the watershed moment, which causes this kind of slow motion avalanche. And you know we can go into those experiences as you like or prefer. But as you said, it's very carefully depicted and shared in the Man Meets Mantis documentary. But suffice to say that that was the beginning, that that event in 2010, you know, and interestingly, years would pass before the natural uh, outcome and ramifications of that would be would begin to manifest in my life. You know, I I had almost a kind of honeymoon period for a few years where I was allowed to just look at that initial event with the mantis entity and think, wow, that was strange. I don't know what that was, but I guess 
uh, I can hermetically seal that off and just count it as a very fascinating event. Of course, later, the significance and connection to all of these other constellation of events and relationships would become much more clear. But, you know, that transpired over the course of a decade. And I had that same kind of thing, too, where I had these profound experiences as, as a boy. And then I had a sighting of what amounted to five gray aliens in my backyard when I was 30. And I was uh, 44 when I had what, what amounted to like the first big owl experience. Um, I had seen some subtle, nice little things happening with owls, seeing owls and stuff like that. But wow. So for me, the like the, the real, the dam, the big, big crack in the dam came when I was 44. I find this other uh, facet of your experiences that I guess what I would describe is like the maturity of your being and the way that you've grown and deepened and evolved, you know, and this is our first time talking, but I've followed your work so closely for so long that I feel as though I know you and I know the story very well. And one of the things that I've tracked in parallel to my own experiences is the manner in which the deepening and maturity of the person as that slowly begins to be carved out over years in relationship to the phenomenon that is hard won and slowly acquired and includes this aspect that I would be interested not to turn the tables, but to ask you about is including this aspect of death and of the, the way in which there's some juxtaposition or overlay between the spirit realm, I know Whitley has talked about this quite a bit as well, uh, between the spirit realm and the afterlife and our more etheric, subtle qualities as spiritual beings, the way that that has some contact point with this phenomenon is a real point of fascination for me. It's a detail of my own experiences that has only come to the fore in the last couple of years. So when I look back over the last decade, since that initial experience with the mantis entity, it's only like the last couple of years in which I'm appreciating the spiritual facet to this. And I, I just want to kind of get your read or your experience in that regard. Well, at this point, like there's like all these things that, that, that I don't separate. Like I don't, I don't pigeonhole these subjects, I guess in a way I, I do, cause I'm focused on the owl thing, but I mean, you know, there, I, I treat someone's dream with the same weight that I treat a UFO sighting with the same weight. I treat an abduction experience with the same weight. Oh. I treat a powerful synchronicity with the same weight. I treat an owl sighting with the same weight. I treat like someone's epiphany. Yeah. Like, oh, I, you know, I sat on the dock and I watched a pretty sunset and I felt at one with God. I mean, that's a, just, that's a, that's these things to me. I, I don't, and this took a lot of effort. Well, I, to to get to this point where I don't I, I don't rein myself in and, and try to treat one as more important than the other. I mean I've had powerful synchronicities with like owl t shirts, mm. you know, and things and such like that. I mean just the other day I was someone was doing a uh so I'm living in this old inn and there's all this antique furniture in the inn and there was something I was talking with someone and and she was doing a tarot reading for my mother who's been dead for eight years or seven years. And so like 
basically the question was your mom an abductee which i can't answer and and i don't think she was but she was doing a tarot reading was my mother an abductee so i'm sitting there we're talking on skype and she's pulling the cards and and i'm at this old desk i had to come into the house because the um the wi-fi thing wasn't working so i set it up on this classic old roll top desk just you could picture it at any antique store and i knew that there was still stuff in the desk like old papers and stuff like that so i'm sitting there and she's talking and she's kind of reading the thing and i just out of curiosity open the drawer i had always opened the first drawer and there's bills and postcards and stuff i open the next drawer down and i kid you not there is a section of the new york times from 1930 in the drawer and there is an illustration of an owl winking at oh. me <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And it's so, yeah. So, and it was, and it was an ad for Gordon's gin and my father drank Gordon's gin. So it's like this thing where like, like, what does this mean? My father was an abductee. What am, what am I like missing here? Is this how, how, where do I, like, I don't think he was, but it's, but there's this, so I wait that, that I wait the Tarot reading as much as I wait the, the, anything else. I mean, there's like a, yeah. uh, I've, I use this analogy all the time. There's, um. Do you know who Ray Hernandez is? He's the front man in an organization called Free, which is... Yes. Okay, yes. that's also... Uh, I think it's renamed the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research. I can't remember what it's called now. But he's a lawyer. He's like a, you know, buttoned up, very pragmatic guy. So he's driving in traffic in Miami, and he he is making a left turn and he's got the radio he's listening to a song on the radio and he's in the middle of the left turn and all of a sudden whoosh, he's like vaulted into some other reality and it, he says this experience lasts about 20 minutes and he's he's all of a sudden like seeing this like giant 3d cinematic portrayal of a giant ferris wheel with these huge metal arms and this you know the 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 metal arm goes past on this ferris wheel of the spoke and it says you know ufo contact and then the next one goes by and it says shamanic journeying and the next one goes by and says vivid dreams and the next one goes by and it says out of body experience and the next one goes by and it says synchronicity and they're all these kind of divergent things right and then and then he's kind of like vaulted in and zooms in on the hub the axle of the giant ferris wheel and it says human consciousness oh. and then whoosh, He's right back in Miami traffic, finishing the left turn, and the same song is still playing on the radio. Now, when I heard that, when I heard that, it was like, oh, because I had sort of come to that conclusion earlier, in it, but I was fighting it. I had kind of had to grit my teeth to, to wrap my brain around that. And then he um, he said it so visually and, and symbolically, you know, the, the center of the hub is human consciousness. I completely accord with that. And it reminds, calls to mind for me, this surprising emergence of animism in my life. So one of the manner in which I was investigating my own experience was through these various modalities of spirituality, various lineages. And so I guess I didn't anticipate it, but one of the most satisfying offerings that I was able to find in the canon of human spiritual lineages is animism. And it's for the very reason that you just described. I mean, actually that Ferris wheel and the spokes and the hubs is a great description or image for what my experience was around animism. And specifically the aspect of 
our contact that you and I are relating to through the owls, through mantis insects. I've also had really strong, repeated, uh, solid, sustained experiences with coyotes around uh, a lot of my contact. And animism is the tradition that led me to this satisfying realization that that all pervasive consciousness, human consciousness as the center of that hub, very naturally explains and accounts for the way in which these other beings, whether they are owls or coyotes or mantis insects, that that sentience which is animating every living thing is completely universal and infinite. And so it's almost the inversion of my initial difficulty of wrapping my head around how is it that these entities are able to control and inhabit creatures in this fashion? Or at least there's some um, synergy between the entities and owls or coyotes or insects, whatever it is, they are able to at least synergistically conform with these entities for a time in which the body of these creatures is available at the discretion and preference of, for instance, in my case, the mantis entities. That is astounding. And the, the level of precision that they have with these creatures is oh, just oh, perfect. I, yeah, It's perfect. And animism as a lineage, which, you know, when you were, I think you made reference earlier about shamanic work and traditions. <clears throat> Perhaps I'm recalling that from a previous uh, episode. But the shamanic, yeah. So the shamanic traditions, as you know, really account for and very beautifully provide uh, a lineage and a path and a practice that accounts for not only the, the way that these entities and creatures synergistically conform and enact their purposes in that fashion. And, you know, coming as a, a Buddhist practitioner initially, like finding that, well, actually the root of Buddhism, uh, if you want to look at like the Vajrayana tradition, the root of that is Bon. And the root really of any spiritual lineage is shamanic in nature. So like our, as you know, our spiritual heritage going back tens of thousands of years is really the shamanic path. And I find, I find myself like surprisingly that has been the most useful and facilitating of the human spiritual lineages in working with and accounting for my contact experiences. And then that also perfectly includes all of the out-of-body, astral, etheric, um, near-death experiences, in-between lifetime experiences. One of the most beautiful <clears throat> Uh, experiences that my wife and I had was on the top of our house. There's this rooftop deck, our whole top of our house is a, is a deck. And we were on our backs one night stargazing, having the deepest conversation that either of us could recall about death. My kids were involved in it. And we just as a family sat and talked about death for a good hour or more. And that at the end of the conversation, there was this natural pause. We're all just looking at the sky. And this neon, luminous, it, it was bioluminescent in the way that deep sea life is. This cylindrical, it looked like a life 
form, but I don't know what it was. It, it just was this luminous, cylindrical, about eight, nine feet long, couple feet in diameter, um, a tube, but a morphine, like a plasma. It looked like a living plasma, and it flew right over us. I could have I could have just took a cushion and hit it. It was so low. It was maybe 15 feet above our heads. And it just glided in this perfect horizontal path right over our faces, right in front of our eyes, uh, over the top of the deck. Precisely at this moment, it was the first pause in this conversation about death. And it was one of the most stunning, spectacular things any of us have ever seen. Again, so grateful. There was multiple witnesses. <laughs> My wife had the same exact sighting. And as soon as it was done, I was like, okay, I'm not going to even say anything. You just tell me what you just saw. I'm going to write it down. Again, our perception and accounts perfectly conformed. We saw and experienced the same thing. Now, what to say about that or how to account for it? Like, I can't tell you what that meant other than it was unmistakably placed around that conversation about death. Something signaled, you know, right? Like something signaled us. It was an intelligence and it was responding to our interiors. And that's something I love so much about your work with owls is the way that it is diving into this question about <clears throat> the manner in which the intelligence behind these various phenomena is registering and interacting with and recognizing our inner life, our interior life. Absolutely. And one of my favorite stories that, that you relate is the deep, meaningful conversation that you were having with your female friend when the multiple synchronicities and the multiple owls arrived in response to that. And, and she was talking about God. Yeah, exactly. She was talking about God, yes. And her name is Kristen, which is Christ. I mean, it's right there, and right in the first four letters of her name. Right. And and uh, yeah, so that that I say this, I've, I've told the story so many times, I can go on autopilot. But like, I didn't, I couldn't remember what she was talking about. It was like uh, over a year later. Actually, it was over three years later when I actually contacted her. Yeah. Or two and a half. Excuse me. It was over. It was about two and a half years later when I finally contacted her and asked, what were we talking about when she said she was giving her deepest, most heartfelt definition about God when we saw the first owl fly over my head or our heads. Yeah. And, and I mean, so everything from that point on has been painted with this totality that I just see like, 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 you know, so if, if you sit with a, other UFO witness, right? And you start your conversation. It should take three minutes before you get to like, why are we here? What does it all mean? What is God? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yes. that's like, and if you don't go there, like that person's gritting their teeth and they're denied, they're like, like, like it's, you are required to go there. That is yeah. the, that this mystery is, is, is forcing you to go to those, those deepest places. I completely agree. And I think that that is the imperative. And when I mentioned earlier, uh, and you have related the same experience, which is it takes us years, it takes many experiencers years. This is an archetypal 
feature of the developmental arc of experiencers, which is it does take us years, whether it's you or I or Nadine Lalich describing how many years it took for her to come forward with her experience. However, that imperative, which is you must go to the depths, you must go deeper, you must grow, you must hollow out the center of your being in order for you to meet this enigma where it lives, instead of trying to compress it and collapse it into the zombie space that on a bad day, human beings are magnetically drawn to occupy. Yeah. There's a convenience in living in an unconscious way. It's like it's, there's a kind of comfort to not living in the depths in that regard. However, in my experience, and I, I think probably you would, affirm this in your own life as well. If you deny the imperative to go into those depths and to live into those deeper registers of being, the longer that you deny that, the feedback loop impresses itself upon you in a way that becomes unsustainable. And so, for instance, there was a blog post that I had posted um, not too long ago about the ET presence and human sovereignty. And it just offers these, it's 10 things that a human being can do, activities, actions we can take in order to try to grow into a more mature relationship with this phenomenon. And I did not want to write that blog. Like as a perfect example of a public statement that I did not want to make. And the sensation, which is, truly includes this, the biological, like in your body, the, the meat, the blood, the sinew of your body. It was impressed upon me so emphatically from multiple parties, one of them being that mantis entity that I've had contact with, that if I didn't say what I knew I had to say and, and needed to share, that the discomfort would become unbearable. And it kind of did, I mean, like, I, I don't say this is a noble thing. Like, I'm lazy enough and stubborn enough that I spent a long time not saying those things. I didn't want to say them. And I ended up relenting because it truly felt unethical and immoral to not say those things. It feels unethical to not have conversations with people like yourself. It feels unethical to not create and participate in the change that needs to happen in our culture to make room for this. Like we're going to have to grow into an adult relationship with these entities. And if we don't, the outcome is really not great for us. Like we really only have the option of taking the high road in this enigma and that's uncomfortable, but it's far less uncomfortable to the alternative. The alternative is very unappetizing. And that's really how I ended up on this path. You know, I I would be very interested to hear your perspective now because you're further along the other side of that threshold. You're further along the other side of that growth fulcrum. Um, and do you find that it's been a lot more wonderful maybe than you anticipated or, you know, the parts that, that you were bracing yourself for in discomfort like ah i don't really want to go into this kind of life did it turn out better it's it's better yes it's the, the fear you know it's like it's any you know whatever the the, the fear of the basement is you know once you turn 
listen to the sound effects in the background. I don't know if you can Whoa. hear that. We had a good fault. Did you hear it? <laughs> yes, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. There we go. So there was that uh, I couldn't have been timed better. So um, the fear of the of the basement. You know, the way to get over the fear is turn the light on and go down the basement. And, and in essence, I mean, my fear was less. There's a couple of things. One of them was just coming out, right, and talking publicly. And I was felt like I was forced into that through every synchronicity for a while. I was like, you have to talk about this. You have to talk about this. You have to talk about this publicly. And and I was hit with so many synchronicities. That's the first 30 days of my blog back in 2009 were insane with with it. I turned. I started gushing at a certain point. I felt like I was saying too much. But and and then you know, I'll honestly say like we're in a different era. Like you know. The yeah. you know the Whitley Strieber hosts this website and and he came forward getting on thirty years ago a little less than thirty years ago now yeah nineteen maybe a little over it would have been so it would have been nineteen eighty seven so and that at that point he got you know he was vilified hammered and I have had almost no I don't know what people are saying behind my back but no one's really said anything negative to my face really some people doubt me and that's fine I haven't been I haven't had any venomous flack the way that what, yep. what he endured, and so uh, like it's been remarkably engaging. You know, someone uh, people ask me like, "Where are you at now with this stuff?" And I, the answer I give is like, "Well, like now I live in a magical universe." Yeah. Yes, I I think that's a really important point that one of the great unexpected boons that comes with walking forward, going into the basement, going into the depths, living this life, is that it re-enchants your reality. You know, we do, and that comes back to the animism aspect of this as well, which is the truth is that we have inherited this completely mystical, magical reality. And through a bizarre series of choices and paths over the last few centuries, we've divested ourselves of that. And for most of human history, we did inhabit that enchanted, completely transformative reality. And we have strangely divested ourselves of it. And one of the things that this enigma carries with it is that re-enchantment. And something is simple. That's my, you know, that's my sense too, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I... I'm madly in love with that. And I have to recognize and celebrate how much value that has brought to my life. Because what could be more beautiful about coming to earth and incarnating as a human being than entering into this intimate relationship with this intelligence that's everywhere in all of these beings and is waiting for nothing less than our engagement with it? It's simply is seeking relationship. And I think that invitation, you know, one of the images that I continually find myself returning to is the way in which we are externalizing in a really prosaic manner. Just if you look at simply how much time people spend staring at screens and phones and externalizing attention and focus onto this object. And for most of human history, that gaze was devoted to the sky. Yes. Was devoted to our environment, right? We have really, I, I am almost, in my own personal situation, I'm kind of alarmed to understand that my 
first really crazy sighting of a craft only happened because I was lying on my back in a dog park waiting for my dog to go to the bathroom. And I had one of the most life-changing sightings right in that time. It went on for a long time. But then I realized, what am I missing? What if I just laid on my back and looked at the sky for a couple hours each night might disclose itself to me? You know, one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this intelligence is the manner in which it discloses itself to us, right? It's we there's always been this trope, which is like, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, I don't know. But if we do what you had described, which is be uh, admit the validity of all the variety of our native human states in a 24 hour period. So our waking state, our dreaming state, our meditative states, our um, exercise states, whatever, the whole menu of what's available to a human being in a 24 hour cycle. And then we observe the choices that these intelligence intelligences have made and how they appear to us when they arrive, the manner in which they disclose themselves. There's so much information there. That is a set of signals and cues in and of itself. And although I'm a supporter of work like TTSA and I, I'm for increased transparency and disclosure from the government, I think on the other hand, the great interiority, the great mystery of this vast inner landscape, this vast inner ecosystem, it has been communicating to us without cessation for thousands of years. Except, and, except now we live in this modernized Western world where we, we deny it. Exactly. And it's this bizarre forfeiture. Um, one of the things that's in that blog post that I was talking about is that strangely, our great inheritance, our relationship that we, in an unearned fashion, have just been the benefactors of. We come to Earth, we incarnate as human beings, and these entities are here trying to engage with us. There's a relationship that's available to us. Strangely, the forfeiture, I think, is much less a conspiracy. It's not as though someone is ripping it from our hands. It's that we enter into this slow progression where we allow the divestment of that enchantment, where we allow the forfeiture of our native human sovereignty, our, uh, our given relationship and availability with these intelligences. We just make simple, small choices day to day, which occludes and increasingly removes this as part of our natural 24-hour cycle of what it is to be a human being and a, a spiritual entity on earth. All we have to do is what you've done with your life and what we see so many experiencers do, which is recognize this intelligence is here with us. Be deeply curious about what it is, why it's here, what it wants, and recognize its language instead of our preferences of how you know, we would like it to disclose itself, how would we, we would like it to communicate with us, the kind of... Um, you know, understandable preferences that our human being might have. But if we can set those aside and try to meet this thing where it lives, then what you find out is that it lives in a very enchanted place and it's actually miraculous. And what you end up netting from it is this much more enchanted existence. And it's just profoundly beautiful. And I, I existed in a very tense 
frenetic place for years that struggling with this and i i said i got bored with it i probably integrated it a little more nicely than just being bored with being frenetic but that's what it felt like it felt like i can't do this anymore i can't be the frantic person anymore it's killing yeah. me and i yeah. said okay so I'll, I'll take get it and it i i basically said okay i let it happen i was i would i would engage it i mean i've said this before where i talked to the owl i went out in the woods all alone and just spoke aloud i said this is too much you need to back off i'm not going to pay attention to owls way off in the distance i'm gonna I, i'm gonna ask you to cross my path if you want my attention and i mean within three yeah. days and i'll crossed my path while on a bicycle riding down the main street of my town so now <laughs> okay we i'm i apologize we, this is i'm so charged up by this and i have to share one thing so andrea my partner we we're talking about things of the day and i said oh, i got an interview today at noon and she said oh, who are you interviewing and i said oh, i'm Stuart davis the the guy with that with the uh, the mantis uh podcast she listened to it too and um and she's had her own experiences and she she said oh let's hear let me tell you the dream i had last night and she wrote it down and so i'm going to read it aloud i was going to bring her out here and have her talking and she said oh i don't i don't want to talk on the thing so but i'll i'll read her dream it's just a couple sentences i was watching a few men play tibetan singing bowls and andrea plays tibetan singing bowls she's a sound healer i was watching a few men playing tibetan singing bowls one was a buddhist monk a woman interrupted them and then a man whispered in my ear and said, you are a mantis. <laughs> that was her dream last night. Whoa. And she writes her dreams down every day. So she was actually typing this up as, as, I, was, as I was saying as much. I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you can hear the rain. It is pounding down. It. it sounds so beautiful. I, I'm going I'll, to, I'll, I'll mix it in nicely with the, the final mix here. So, um yeah, I got goosebumps when you told me that. I was I, just like, in honest, and from my end, like, this is so normal for me at this point. Just it feels like reality, like the script writers of reality are, like, I, like if I was the script writer for a, for a thriller movie and I wrote this, you know, the executive producer would have complete permission to come into the room and say, hey, uh, lighten up. That's a little, that's a little overkill, right? Don't hit don't don't hit the viewer over the head so hard with your completely. I could not <laughs> confirm that more passionately. The uh, this is something I've said over and over again. You know the nature of what we have been experiencing around the mantid entity and the all of the stuff that's in the documentary, which has continued on. There's been there's it's been years since I released that doc and many things have happened. And I'll just give you one example of something that is very typical, just in the fashion that you related there. I have come to just know this as the normal landscape of what life is like now. And in one instance, that's a great example. I had, so my, my mantis experience in 2010 occurred at midnight on New Year's Eve. Years later, I ended up discovering this woman, Jacqueline Smith, she was speaking at the MUFON conference. I don't remember what year. I, I but know was... her well. She's a, have you ever met her? Well, we've spoken. She's wonderful. Length. She's wonderful. Yeah. Love her. So the reason I ended up getting in touch with her is I was watching her speak at a conference and she was relating the story of how on New Year's Eve at 12 noon, a series of mantis entities manifest in her house and interacted with her. And I just, my jaw dropped, you know, New Year's Eve, 12, mine was at midnight, hers was at 12 noon. 
I spent days pacing, thinking, I have to talk to this woman. How can that be? Why on earth would mantis entities be showing up <laughs> on new? Like, I couldn't comprehend it. So I call her. We have this long conversation. Um, it's in the documentary, and people can reference that if they want to get into what it was that she shared. But to this experience, I speak with Jacqueline. We're both like, wow, okay, yeah, mantis entity is arriving on New Year's. And we have this conversation. I hang up the phone. And I'm walking to the gym. It's like a two-minute walk from my front door. And in my head, I'm just like, I can't grok this. I'm like talking to the mantis entities in my head. And I'm like, I just, this is stopping my brain, like in the words of my wife. Like, I don't even know what to make of this. What, how am I supposed to metabolize this as part of my reality? And I arrive at the gym door and I extend my gym key onto the keypad and there is a mantis insect perched on the keypad as my hand extends to touch it. It flies from the keypad onto my left foot and sits there and stares at me. Now, again, my gym is in the middle of an urban landscape. There's nothing. There's no plants. Like It's concrete and asphalt as far as the eye can see. It is not an environment where a mantis insect would be. And this is three minutes after I just got off the phone with Jacqueline sharing our New Year's Eve mantis encounters. And I know, like, to... I know that you're someone who can relate to this dramatically. <laughs> the the gaze that that little insect was looking at me with, it electrified my body because I had total certitude that whatever this intelligence is, it literally just succeeded in manipulating this tiny insect to land on that keypad right at the moment that I was approaching the gym. It was so purposefully put there for me and then it sat there and stared at me. I filmed it with my phone, etc. Now... What is that? What is the communication? What is the content of what that gaze from this insect is? I can't tell you with anything other than total clarity that whatever it is, it's intelligent, it's responding to my inner life, and it is connected to me in a way in which it's able to do that. Like whatever their technology method, method, methods are, they are able to, whether it's an owl or a coyote or an insect, they can place and interact, see through in that fashion. Now that's an enchanted reality. That is, we are living in a miraculously wondrous, totally mystical reality. And it's available to us, you know, even the middle of the day, going to the gym, something that beautiful and profound, it stopped me. It stopped me. Called Jacqueline Smith after I'm certain. Yes, yes. And, you know, to her credit, you know, the beautiful person that she is, none of this uh, shocks her or, you know, th that this is just naturally part of her completely. She's integrated with all of this fully. For me, there was a little bit more of a process for years um, where I just, you know, these things were happening over and over and over again. And uh, you're, you're, each time- is, they, I know, I know. Would, I know more than anyone in the whole world. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people yeah, that know, right? but, but you and I are, yes, I know, yeah. You just, I would just stop over and over and think, oh my God, like I can't, of course I believe. I know I can't deny, but also what to do with this. Well, really start a podcast, ultimate response. Exactly. Start <laughs> Write a, a movie script. Just live in that beautiful reality, right? Like maybe what the invitation to us is much simpler than 
we make it sometimes. It's like, all I really have to do is live in that reality. All I have to do is be in a relationship with these entities. All I have to do is speak honestly about what this kind of life is and the kind of reality that is available to us. So it's not so complicated. It's not like I'm supposed to go out and save the world. It's not like I'm supposed to go out and single-handedly reconfigure the culture. Like, we just have to live in accordance and integrity with these experiences and truth. And I think if we just do that, that beautiful intelligence is joyfully receptive and celebrating us in arriving in that way. That's all really it's asking of us as far as I can tell. Exactly. And to go to those deepest, deepest places in the sense that like, you know, ask those questions about, you know, who am I? Why am I here? And, and, and that's, I mean, I've been in the midst of going through my uh, first owl book, The Messengers, and I have been, uh, there were some typos in it, so I've been cleaning it up, and it's sort of turning into a updated edition. So I'm adding a little bit more. Some people have allowed me to use their names and things like that that they didn't five years ago. So, and I basically, I'm reliving that entire process of writing that mm -hmm. book, which was like... I, I can't even put it into words how what it was like. It was like, you know, I'd be halfway through a chapter. And I'm like, this chapter's not making any sense. I, 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 I need a story to like complete this chapter. Ping, the email comes in, you know, usually the next morning. <laughs> and it's like, oh, here's the perfect story to like finish this chapter. And and I, do you know Rob and Trish McGregor? They're, um, they, they have a few books that was Synchronicity in the title. But they, you know, I told them that, you know, like, and, and they are both writers, husband and wife writing team. And they, they just very calmly said, oh, the best books are written that way. Yeah. You know, so they, they didn't overthink it. I'm overthinking it. I am, I'm overthinking it less now. And it, you know, I, whatever, it's easier to go with the flow in the river, in the canoe, rather than try to paddle upstream or fight the yes. current. So. Yes, exactly. And really that characterizes so much of, you know, I went through years where I basically was testing this entity. Um, I had so much anxiety and trepidation around wanting to know if this thing was what it was presenting itself to be. Not in the sense of like, was it a mantid entity? No, I was not confused about that. But in regards of like, I went through a whole process of basically um, interrogating this intelligence and saying like, well, what's up with all the abductions? What's up with all the hybridization? Why are you taking people against the, like, why are mantis entities seen at the head of this whole anarchy of this program that's been going on for decades? And, you know, you're traumatizing people and you're violating their sovereignty. And like, I have a lot of issues with that. So what is the deal? And this entity repeatedly just over and over again, now I think it's funny and comical, but at the time it just repeatedly said like, First of all, this is not a monolithic, you know, in, in as much as human beings are varied and distinct and individuated, there is variation and distinction among mantis entities. I, as an individual, am not involved in those programs, but I understand the issues that you're presenting. Just so you know, there are mantis entities, there are non-human intelligences which advocate for human sovereignty. You should work with them. When the opportunity is there to have a good relationship with an entity that does support human freedom and development, those are the ones you should be working with. But it took me years. I literally, I couldn't, I didn't believe it. And so I would say like, well, then are you going to leave me alone if I want to be left alone? Like, you know, and it was, it was, the answer was always yes. I, I will 
vanish from your life? Should that be your preference? And then I would say, okay, well, leave me alone for three months then, you know, and it will leave me alone for three months. And then we'd go back into it and enter it again. And I would do another variation of the interrogation, just basically this trust exercise that went on and on and on because I was very terrified that I would be misled or that I had been yeah, du yeah. duped in some fashion. And I, to tell you the truth, I think those are reasonable concerns to have. And I think that one of the good things that's entered into my life has been a whole set of protection exercises, a whole set of spiritual practices, which are around ensuring that the entities you're in, interacting with have at least an interest that is concordant with yours. If, if not necessarily your best interest at heart, at least nothing malevolent, negative, or that which would contradict or undermine your sovereignty as a human spiritual being. That took years. And now when I look back um, at some of the more honeymoon phases of my contact experiences, I see a reckless person who was much too enthusiastic and naive, or if not naive, like it, not willing to admit the sophistication and gravity of what it is to be in contact with, with any beings, human or otherwise. Like we need to have respect. I shouldn't say we, I have found for myself, it's been very important to have respect for the gravity and enormity of what this phenomenon is. Yes. And then to be a participant, to actively engage in protective practices for me, my family, people that I love, and then also respect for this entity. I, I just can't overstate the profundity. Simply put, I was only in a room with this entity face-to-face, -face, so to speak, for 60 seconds or less. It changed my entire life. That less than a minute has completely altered the rest of my lifetime. And I can say with confidence that'll be the case until I excarnate. So now I have much more of a regard and respect for how steep that is. Um, a lot of that's in the documentary. A lot of it has been more recent, the last couple of years, uh, integrated and in including these spiritual practices, which are really just about hygiene, like metaphysical hygiene as being an indispensable part of life. Yes, and I feel like <clears throat> I feel like my outdoor work was a was such a grounding feature for me. Yeah. Like I mean, I literally sleeping on the ground. I sleep on the ground every chance I get, you know, to be able to even just a nap on the ground. And I and I feel that that is I mean, it's not metaphoric, it's literal. I am grounding, you know, so I I yep. I I I I trust that that like, I never went through like a, you know, like I didn't, you know, burn sage or anything like that or, um, but I but I would sleep on the ground and I felt like and I took that very seriously and I treated it with with a reverence and a seriousness and and I think that played a role in this and then I'll also say that at the culmination of the first owl book like I didn't know like where that was going when I started it like like I didn't want to write a I don't want to say airy fairy. That's that's a little demeaning. But I didn't want to write a spiritual book. But that's what came out, oh. and 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 I made sure to include some dark stories in that book 
but what happened was that there weren't that many dark stories that I was uncovering. The people that were having the owl experiences and contacting me, the vast majority of them were having very benevolent, often challenging, but not bad, right? So yeah. they, they like you would be challenged. It would challenge everything. That's not necessarily bad, but it, but there were certainly some people who had some dark experiences, and I made sure to include those in the book too, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to deny one side. I mean, I've, there's so much data out there. You could cherry pick whatever you want and turn this, this, this into whatever you want. You could write it up, and 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 you could decide on the title of the book in advance, and then find data to back up your your idea and yep. hypothesis. So, yep. and I did not want to do that. And yeah. so I, I'm trusting that the good natured vibe that's kind of woven in to the owl research, I'm, I'm trusting like, okay, that's my, that's my recognition that the path is good. Completely. And I love your choices and advocacy in that regard, because I think one of the, again, just to speak for myself, I, I spent a lot of years in a more passive, um, stupefied state in which, you know, there's, and again, I think this is reasonable. I think it's probably part of a natural progression, but there was this whole phase of my life, which was largely occupied by simply being bewildered and enamored that this reality existed. And so there was a more passive role to it where I was like, you know, well, clearly an entity that can manifest in your room and shoot you full of stuff like that and invent like that is an order of intelligence and capacity that I can't even begin to imagine and so again I think a natural thing is that we can we can tend to assign our higher qualities our deeper self we can ascribe those and project them onto these entities because they're so exotic and different there's a notion like oh they must be superior I have actually come to a place now where I don't think that's the case I don't think it serves uh us or them to project this spiritual wisdom or perfection onto them, which is actually our inheritance as well. And I think that these entities, at least the mantis that I have had contact with, there is something truly powerful and valuable about human beings, which is causing a whole population of entities to configure their reality and behavior in order to ensure that they have contact with us. Why would that be? Something, you know, human beings possess this infinitely valuable spiritual, emotional, psychological, somatic treasure. We are truly miraculous beings. And I think that while not perfect, I mean, clearly our flaws and shortcomings are evident everywhere we look. We're in a very, very difficult, risky situation. I want to acknowledge that completely as well. But for me personally, one of the things that I had to stop doing was thinking like, well, this thing, this mantis must be so superior to me. It must be just almost like a perfected, evolved entity that I can't even begin to imagine. I don't think that's the case. I think it is a truly miraculous, you know, positively bewildering kind of intelligence and being but also it's important that I claim and protect my own spiritual lineage and what it is, what is miraculous about being a human being. When you describe sleeping on the ground outside and how you carry reverence and respect for that as a sacred activity, I think there is so much to that and that both parties will benefit if human beings take the high road and we start to 
yes, acknowledge we are living in a reality that is populated by many types of entities. They're here, they're interacting with us, but also we have a sovereignty and a depth to us that is infinitely valuable and we need to claim it and protect it. And we need to be, and again, just for my own life, like I want to be an active participant in this relationship. I don't want some crazy disparity where I just think I'm, I'm powerless and that these things are going to do what they want, when they want, how they want, and that I'm really can't alter the path of that relationship. And, and I, and I know a lot of people who have, who feel that and have been through that. And I, and I, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to point my finger at those people who have had a hard time and say like, Oh, you just need to like, you know, be more love and light and more groovy. And then, and then the phenomenon will change around you. Cause I think that's a little demeaning to them. I agree. Or not a little demeaning. I think it's, it's terrible. So if people are, people are suffering with these experiences and I recognize that. Completely. And I don't, you know, I also don't want to depict it as though if a person who's in a more traumatic kind of relationship with this, where they're having truly difficult, painful experiences, I'm not saying that doing, for instance, the 10 things that I put together in that blog will magically make that stop or it will magically transform it into this love and light relationship. I just think that the things that we can do that are available to us as actions to take and lifestyles to adopt, we should try to do those things. And to the degree that we can try to take the high road, like just again, for my own life, I feel better trying to be in an active relationship with this mantis entity where I tell it some things that I want as well. Like I want a relationship and I want, you know, whether it's recall of experiences or kinds of information or ways in which I would prefer to it, it to express itself in my life, uh, meditation practices that I take up, those things make me happier. And so do they produce a one-to-one -one result and efficacy every time I adopt them? No. But is my life improved by taking them into part of my lifestyle and then having a new sustained approach to how to live with this enigma? Yeah, my life feels, I feel happier rather than just being like, oh, I wonder when something's going to happen to me again, you know, like living in that anticipated state of sometimes dread, yeah, um, yeah. sometimes expectancy. So I just personally have found that it improves my life a bit. And I have, I also have this strange intuition or inclination that if tens of thousands of us, even that's not a very large number planetarily, but if tens of thousands of us were to simply form a coherent collective and we expressed with true, um, consensus to these entities like, hey, we have a list of demands. We have a list of expectations. Here's some basic things that we now expect from you. We want these things. And they could be really simple, like stop taking us unless you have our expressed conscious permission, or I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be frightened. I want to be offering you my permission. And I also expect things in return. If this is going to be a real relationship, like I want it to, I think that might actually, you know, what would be the downside if it doesn't have a positive result, at least we as a collective would have that sense of respect for each other, love for each other, um, mm -hmm. protection of each other, I think. And then possibly, you know, again, this mantis entity has communicated to me and for now, 
I feel that it has been expressing the truth. Like I think this is all, these relationships should always be formed on continually checking and confirming. But it has said that they would prefer much more for us to grow into this equivalency, to grow into this parity. And that if if we were to live in that kind of collective state, it would have a very big impact because as you and I have been relating, whatever this intelligence is, it has a real recognition and intimacy with our interiors. And so us living collectively and more in accordance with these kinds of values and expectations, that is recognized among at least some of these intelligences, and it it would be responded to. That's what's been communicated to me. And so I've been trying, at least. Hey, we've been at this for about an hour and a half, which just blew by. I'm amazed at how fast this flew by. Let me just get a few things out of the way here. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, StuartDavis.com is the easiest way. And it, through that website, they can find your podcast and, and the the documentary you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, so Aliens and Artists, there's also a website for that. It's just aliens, A-N-D, artist, aliensandartist.com. Um, and that's on everywhere you find podcasts, so iTunes or whatever. Uh, but everything's pretty much on my website. So if someone wants to send an email, there's a, a an email contact form in there. Um, the podcast is there and just whatever else, whatever other projects I'm involved in, they're all on there. Okay. I mean, I was, I was, I had so many questions. I got to almost none of them, which is fine. This was a, a totally dynamic. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, here's, I'll end it with this. I'll end it with this. This is one question. I was writing this up and I'm like, okay, like I'm going to write this up. So, um, did you volunteer to be Stuart Davis and to play the role you're playing now? I mean, did you make some sort of soul agreement? This is obviously you can't answer this. What's your sense? Did you make some sort of soul agreement before incarnating here on earth? I mean, was this all planned out in advance? It's a great question. And I would say I would give a modified response to that. So on the one hand, I would say, yes, my incarnation was selected. I had, let's put it this way. I had some say in the manner in which I incarnated. I would say specifically, I did choose my parents. I would say specifically, I did choose my vocation. And it has been communicated to me. And this is also, um, I don't want to call it a trope, but this is a theme, let's say, that we see among many, many experiencers, which is this mantis entity has communicated to me over and over again. You and I have known each other for thousands of years, many incarnations. You have been a mantis entity before, you know, all of those things that you might imagine that so many experiences have heard. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I could never validate or verify that. But one thing that I have, again, decided to take up now, this late in the game, I'm almost 50 years old and late in life, I made a conscious decision and I told this entity, I was like, listen, if I had a pre-incarnational contract with you, I'm breaking it. I break it right now. I am busting this thing and I'm telling you, I declare this contract null and void and we are starting over. You can't just come to me and tell me that I agreed to everything before I incarnated and that's why you have carte blanche to do whatever you want. I'm like, that deal is dead. I'm making a new deal with you and in this new deal, Maybe we do go back thousands of years. That might be the case. 
but now I want a relationship with you. I want to be recognized as a sovereign soul, and I have my say, and if we're going to be in each other's lives, I need to gain value from this and be respected, and in return, I will respect and value you as well. I will do work with you, but I get to tell you what's in that contract. You don't get to tell me. So that's one adjustment that I made that I have, again, like that's made my life better. Okay, just, way. and I got the chills just now when you said that. So yeah, uh, more power to you, yes. Hey, this has been such a powerful, awesome conversation. I I just, am, I'm so glad I did this. I, I don't know if you know this, but I have been like, whatever, the, the virus thing is going down and I've got all this other stuff I'm working on. And I'm and a lot of it is like my own internal work in a way where I'm looking at my own, as I said before, like I'm going over my old books and stuff very carefully. And it, it like I, I have not been able to do a podcast for like three oh, or four weeks. Man. Just be, and it's, I mean, whatever, human nature, right? So I've been kind of, yeah. I just didn't have the motivation. So this was perfect. I needed this, exactly this conversation right now. So, um, oh, it's such a joy. I mean, this is a joy. It is a joy for me. And I think, um, again, I just want to celebrate you and give you mad props because I think that your work and what you are contributing to is really reshaping this whole field in the way that I think it does need to be reshaped. I just love how you go about it. I have found such benefit and value from all the work that you've done. So it's a great joy to be on here and to, to get it have a conversation with you. Oh, well, it means so much to hear you say that. Yes. Cause I mean, I, I, you know, you, you know what it means. You sit alone in a room and you write, you write, you know, it's pretty, it's, a, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like there's no one else in the room with you. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to call people on the phone and ask some questions and interview people. But I mean, this is like, you know, yeah. and I'm sharing other people's stories. So that's like the majority of my work has been sharing other people's stories. And I, and I take the responsibility very, very seriously. It, it, it completely, is felt and experienced in each one of these. And I honestly feel like I have thought sometimes that we should, as a species, be called uh, homo, I don't know what the Latin word for story would be, but we're really story creatures. Like story is human. And this sacred act of providing a platform for people to tell their stories and especially these kinds of stories, like to me, that is true religion. That is truly a sacred act. And so I just have gained so much from experiencing you do that over and over hundreds of times. It's been really beautiful. And, and I, um, in the, in the, uh, introduction of my first book, the messengers, I, I remember very clearly, like I remember writing this out and it just felt so honest. I said, I am a disciple to the story. Mm, wow. So that's so great. I'm going to Carry, Yo, you steal that. away. Take the great. you just you grab that and just you run with it. So I will quote you. But I'm going <laughs> to use that. That is so great. It's perfect. And um, hey, I will let you go. This has gone on much longer than most of my shows go on, but every second was worth it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. Hey, this is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Wow. Uh, I, 
I am humbled. Stuart was so supportive and appreciative of what I have been doing and what I have tried to do. And I was really touched with what he said. It really meant a lot to me. I will also say that it means a lot to me that he started his podcast and his interviews, and I recognize that my blog and my podcast have played a role in what he is trying to do now. He is also a recording engineer, so his shows are very well produced, and they sound great, and I really respect that. And again, I said this at the beginning, I'm going to say it again now, Stuart's initial episode is Man Meets Mantis. Please, you simply must listen to that show. Just go to the show notes. It's linked in the show notes. Or just type in Stuart Davis, Man Meets Mantis. It comes right up. Now, before I go, I want to share a little bit more with my listeners. Now, now during the early part of the summer, I, I wasn't really able to keep up with the once-a-week shows here, and, and I apologize. People have been sending me messages and telling me that they miss the shows, that they, they miss hearing the shows. And they've also been asking if everything's all right, and, and everything is okay. I have been working on some writing projects, and this has taken up a lot of my time. But more than that, all the issues with the virus and the protests and the riots, it has, it has brought me down. My mood has been low, and it's made it hard for me to follow through with these shows. I, I really take each of these episodes very seriously, and I work to create something that, that hopefully will help the listeners better understand these mysteries, and also to, to bring to you, the audience, some of the amazing people that work in this field, or some of the people who are willing to talk about their experiences. Yet, if I'm not fully engaged, it just feels tough to press forward with the episodes. I mean, they're important to me, and I really need to dig down deep to, to pull off the, the kind of shows that I want to produce. So I, I want to say thank you, everyone, for your understanding and support. It means so much to me. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.